0: female in technology looking to reach the VP level and beyond? Join me, Lisa Kostova, and guests for honest and real tips, strategies, and conversation to accelerate and most importantly, enjoy your career climb today. Hello, career climbers. I want to tell you a story today. And the story is actually a mountaineering story that has a huge relevance for you and your career and how far you advance. And that is the story of my climb to Mount Shasta. If you live in California or anywhere on the West Coast and you have been on a plane flying from Southern California or anywhere in California up to Seattle or Oregon, if you were ever seated on the right-hand side, you would have seen a beautiful volcano. It's a two-headed volcano that is known as Mount Shasta. It's close to the border of California and Oregon, and it is one of the tallest, one of the tallest mountains in California and on the West Coast. Mount Shasta is also known in the Wu circles as a place of magic, a place of spirituality, all kinds of portals. Maybe there's a class of Lemurians that live underneath it. Anyway, if you ever go to the city or the town of Shasta, you'll see lots of really cute and weird little stores that sell all types of crystals. And you can also take tours to go, you know, to some of those portals. But I went there during my training season for Denali. And I went there because I've always wanted to climb Mount Shasta. It's just been a dream of mine. It's fascinated me ever since I first saw it. And I've always had a connection to that mountain. So I climbed it in 2019. And I was in pretty good shape when I did so because I was already training for about five or six months. I climbed the fifth highest mountain in the continent of North America, which is a volcano in Mexico. I had climbed almost to the top of the third highest mountain in North America, which is yet another volcano in Mexico. Anyway, I was just on the streak of climbing volcanoes. And I got connected with a guiding company out in Shasta, and I signed up for a Trip on an expedition they had, which is a two-day trip of Shasta via the ridge. We are via the Casaval Ridge, which is uh, a way. When I'm when I talk about like ways up a mountain, there's always usually several routes to go up a mountain. The regular route or the easiest route, if easy is even a term, the most kind of beginner accessible level um, of route up Mount Shasta is actually avalanche gulch. And most of the people who climb Shasta, like 90% of them do it through avalanche gulch. And my guides had a trip uh, up Shasta planned for going up up it through Casabal Ridge, which is a little bit steeper. Um, It is a more technical And the, the biggest, the biggest difference between that and Avalanche Gulch is that Avalanche Gulch is in kind of a gulch as its name describes. So you can't, if you kind of get in trouble there, um, there's nowhere really to fall because you're kind of in between two sides of the mountain. Whereas on the ridge, if you are, you know, if you, misstep or fall or do something that you shouldn't be doing, you can't stop yourself from falling with your ice axe, you're f- gonna fall a long way down the steep side of the hill. So <clears throat> I was going up Shasta for the first time it was a beautiful route, we snow camped, kind of About a third of the way up on snow, and snow camping is such a fascinating experience. I really look forward to taking some of you snow camping soon. Maybe we'll have like a more extreme adventure at Career Climb with Lydia or one of my other climbing friends. But snow camping is really, really fun, and it's also not what, what can I say? It's not it's not very comfortable. <laughs> Everything is on snow, and so you're sitting, you know, you're sitting on snow. There's usually snow benches that people make to eat food, and then you have to bring extra kind of insulating pads for your sleeping bag because you're gonna sleep on snow inside of a tent. But anyway, so we get up early in the morning and anytime you go for a summit, Uh, On any mountain, you usually want to do that while it's still dark. Why is that? Well, because the mountain is covered by ice and snow. And when you're climbing it, you want the ice to be firm so that you can get a good grip on it with your spiky shoes that are called crampons, with your ice axe, with your ice tools. It can get very dangerous, and I've actually been involved in an accident. I was not hurt, thankfully, but somebody fell on the rope above me on a different climb in Washington State, um, where we were climbing closer to midday, and so the snow was starting to get unstable and melt from the sun. And so somebody lost their grip and came tumbling down. They're fine at the end of the day, just minor bruises, but. I was almost taken out by them. So this is the reason why most climbs for the summit starts really early in the morning. Like an Everest summit day climb is going to start at like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or midnight. The only exception is Alaska. Alaska. And that is because in Denali, especially, it's almost in the Arctic Circle. So it gets to be so cold and the days in the summer are almost 24-hour days. And so there isn't much kind of melting going on in the early morning. So that, you know, that summit climb, we started, I believe, at 8 a.m., But again, that's because it's a 24-hour day over there. But most everywhere where you have a night and day, and when you have significant temperature differential, you want to start your climbs uh, in the middle of the night. So you just get a few hours of sleep, if you can call it that. You're really packed like sardines in the small tents in your sleeping bag, and it's not It's not like a restful sleep. It's kind of like, okay, let's get some shut eye and then we're going to get up and it's going to take us like half an hour to an hour to get kitted up, get geared up, get roped in, ready to go. And we have our flashlights, our torches on um, for the night climb, which is great, by the way, because it was during the nighttime that we ended up traversing uh, the most exposed part of the ridge, which... You know, I mean, you can kind of sense that there's a there's a chasm to your side, but at least you're not seeing how far you're gonna fall if you fall. So, climbing at night has its its uh, its advantages. One thing that happens, however, uh, most of the time during a strenuous summer day, and summer days are long. Our summit day on Denali was actually pretty short. I'm very proud that we matched the time of a Navy SEAL team that summited the day before us. And we also had a medical emergency in our rope team as well. But we still did it within within 10 hours. And I think the cutoff was 12, 12 hours. They were gonna turn us around. Or we may have even done it in eight. Anyway, this is like nonstop walking and climbing and then descending. You don't stop at all because stopping is really, really, it's, it's, it's dangerous. First of all, you have to take out, like if you're stopping and it's really cold, you have to take out an extra layer to put on top of you so that you don't get cold. You get some hydration. It's like quickly, let's, you know, get a sip of water, let's get some food in us, some like energy, energy bars or like gummies, like these sugar-based things that are just for like, give us a boost of energy. If you got a pee, you know, I as a woman, I have a pee funnel, just kind of like a half. Pipe contraption. I actually did a whole podcast interview for an outdoors podcast once, talking about P funnels and my recommendations on them. But yeah, if you need to go, um, you're kind of like exposed on all sides, and most of the time you're climbing with men, so you just have to make the best out of any break that you take. So breaks are like a couple of minutes, quick bite to eat, quick something to drink. Maybe pee and move on. Really, really important that you don't like stay still for a long period of time. It breaks up your rhythm as well. Uh, Since you're warm, you're moving, even though you might be getting tired, there's still momentum going in you. Whereas when you stand still, getting going after a break is always like, oh, you know, it always feels like much harder and your energy is sapped and your willpower goes down. The reason I'm describing all of this is to give you a sense of the dynamic of climbing a mountain, which is very, very similar to the dynamic of doing anything uh, strenuous, long, and effortful at work. I'm talking about working on a big project. I'm talking about working towards a product launch. I'm talking about even your career, things like working towards a, a promotion or an opportunity, working for an internal move or expansion of responsibilities. I'm even talking about interview processes that are like these big marathons that we uh, embark on when we switch jobs and making sure that we don't shortchange ourselves. But like, you know, you need, you need massive amounts of endurance for all of these, just like a mountain climb. So... Um, long story short, we are, you know, it's it's already morning, it's already light. We've been climbing for six, to, seven, maybe hours at that point. and we're getting close to close to what I think is the top. And good on my climbing guides, they did not tell me like they don't tell a lot of people that, you know that's not really the top that you're seeing they may have mentioned it but you know when you're climbing you're just keeping your your mind starts getting set on what you can see which is psychologically very very difficult if that's not the actual summit but it looked like it was the summit but it was a false summit So, you know, all of these hours of climbing and it's getting colder and the elevation starting to kick in, uh, you know, it's getting to 14,000 feet, which is like at a point where you're starting to feel a headache, especially if you haven't been drinking a lot, which you probably haven't because you've been climbing for a long time and you're starting to feel a headache and then you come upon this place which is appropriately termed Misery Hill. And Misery Hill is about like 95% of the way up Mount Shasta. And it's kind of that last stretch that you're going to take to go to the top. For those of you on video, let me just screen share real quick. But I'm going to show a picture and maybe we can share it later. This is from a someone's blog and it shows the side view of... I think this is the Avalanche Gulch Climb on the left here. So you can see how somebody coming up from the left-hand side is not going to be able to really tell that there's like another bump, a whole new thing happening beyond the crest. So this is uh this over the right here is uh Misery Hill, and these tiny little dots here show you the scale of that hill it takes about half an hour to 40 minutes to get up it and the reason it takes so long to get up it is because number of factors as i mentioned the altitude starts kicking in second you're at a part of the mountain that's exposed from both sides at that point or like all all around so there's a lot of wind a lot of crosswinds there all of a sudden you're if you're not if you don't have an insulated bottle, like I had like a little, a little tube, a little watering uh, hose that was not insulated. So that froze into an icicle. Everything just like freezes, and you get pummeled by this ice wind. So you've been climbing for a while now, you're getting your, you know, head is hurting, headache, wind, tiredness, and you get to that point, and then you see See this hill, and it just looks so big from the point where you just arrived. It looks like, oh, no way, no way, this is right in front of me. So it has been named Misery Hill because of that. And get this, according to the National Park statistics, something like 80% of the people who quit, 80 to 90% of the people who quit, and it's like, About half of the people who tried to climb the mountain quit. Most of them, the vast majority of them quit right there at the bottom of Misery Hill. And I can tell you that I understand why. So when I got up to the bottom of that hill, I I was like, I looked up, I saw this thing and... I remember looking at the faces of my uh, partners, my climbing partners, and they had been up Shasta many times before. And I saw the look in their faces. They were looking at me. And I knew at that point what was going through their heads. They were like, oh, no. Oh, no. Is she going to just sit down and not move? Is she going to quit? She's going to quit. Oh, my gosh. Well, they don't know me and they don't know that us women in tech, we are not quitters. But I have to tell you, after so many hours of strenuous activity and exertion and just getting and seeing this next big stretch that's just like, ugh, did something to me mentally. And I sat down, I said, guys, I need to sit down. I need to take a break. That's when they give me that, oh no, look. So I sit down and true enough, you know, with the body, when it stops stops moving, it starts getting rigid. It starts getting achy. It starts getting even more tired. It starts, and the mind starts arguing with you. It's like, no, this is not happening. You know, this is too much. This is not worth it. I mean, we're feeling so sick and nauseous and headache and cold. And look, I can't even drink water because my water hose froze. (laughs) And I don't know how long I stood there. I think maybe at least five minutes. And I was trying to eat a frozen gummy, like a frozen energy gummy. And it was the most disgusting thing ever. Oh, no, I think it was like a vanilla flavored energy gel, which, by the way, if you ever try to eat a frozen vanilla-flavored energy gel, that's the most disgusting thing ever. The most disgusting flavor is frozen. It's awful. It's like, eh glue in your mouth. And so I'm trying to eat this thing to warm up. And then finally, I just said to myself, I haven't come all this way for nothing. I haven't come all this way for nothing. And... I actually started singing a Queens song. For those of you in our programs who have been to our challenge, know I love Queens, especially the song Can't Stop Me Now. I wasn't singing that. I was singing another one. And I just like, I just got up and I started singing. And I wasn't singing. It was like a hoarse, awful, off-beats thing that came out of my mouth. And The guides laughed. And at that point, I think they knew that I was going to make it. But it was like singing and climbing and just singing and climbing and singing and climbing. It was like so relentlessly just hard. But you know what? In about half an hour, there I was. And like a little stretch over on the flat and a tiny like little, you know, volcanic Like eruption cone later that was like maybe like ten feet up or fifteen feet up. We were at the summit. And I felt fantastic. And it was so I was so elated. I could see all the way to the Pacific Ocean and ah pictures and celebrations and putting our names in the summit log that's up there by the National Park Service. I mean, it was fantastic. And I had enough energy to go down and we got stuck a little bit in the heat of the uh, midday, you know, the snow started melting. And so we were like sinking up to our knees and and hips uh, and trying to traverse part of the mountain later, but it was totally worth it. The reason I mention Misery Hill, and I often use it as a symbol in my programs for women is that a lot of times, like this is a real... This is a real fact. Most of us, most of us will get, will get tempted to quit just before the summit. We would have put in like 90% of the effort, done 90% of the work, 95 even. And we get to the bottom of Misery Hill and we just sit down and that's it. And I'm talking about your career specifically when's the last time you kind of got fed up towards the end of like, you know, three or four months or even six months of interviewing and you kind of like, ugh, I don't want to, you know, they're not giving me the offer I want. I'm done. I'm sick of talking. I'm sick of negotiating. I'm just going to take what they're giving me and I want to be done with it. But you know what? If had you asked and you pushed for more, I've had this feedback uh, to myself uh, from prior managers. If you had talked and pushed for some more we could have given you more or maybe that offer was not your favorite but if you had like continued to interview or could have gotten could have gotten an offer from someone else that would have been much more interesting to you much better but you just kind of gave up like 95 percent of the way because you were done you were exhausted you were too tired Same thing goes with projects at work. Oftentimes, you know, I had developed a reputation. Now I'm thinking it's probably because I applied the same determination at work that I did on Shasta. I was known as like, hey, if something's not getting done, call Lisa. She's going to figure out a way to get things done. Part of it was because I was, you know, great at motivating teams. And I think part of it was because I Like didn't give up. Now, if the data is telling you that the experiment has failed, go with something else. Go with a new experiment. This is not about banging your head against the wall over and over again if something's not working. I'm talking about things that are you know, still not clear if they're working or not, or things that are just not brought to completion yet, getting them across the finish line when 95% of the effort and work has been put in. So I think that quality, that quality separates the climbers who reach the summit from the climbers who just say, eh, it was hard. Or it wasn't my day or something else was at fault. They'll blame the weather. They'll blame, you know, I had a climbing partner, at Denali, who had climbed Everest. and But she was not prepared for Denali. She, you know, because we don't have Sherpas or porters. Even bring a big enough backpack to the expedition. And so the guiding company told her to go rent one that was big enough. And of course, that was the wrong size. And then she ended up blaming the equipment because she wasn't strong enough. She wasn't trained enough for that climb, carrying so much weight. She didn't believe that women had to carry their fair share of the gear. And so she ended up being turned around and sent back down the mountain. But she, you know, blamed the backpack and blamed the guiding company So, I think it's very important for you in your career or at work to avoid being victimized by your mind, by this, uh, whatever the misery hill is in your career or in your work right now, whatever that looks like. It's very important for you to manage your mind and really talk to your mind and psych your mind up for that last push. And again, please. Distinguish between last push to the summit—you know that is the last push. There's just this kind of last stretch to go versus staying stuck in a, a role or a job or or or, or a situation that you don't know how long it's going to last, or you know what is what is um, what is ultimately the outcome there. Here we have a sense of something how you know, how much work it is or what is the completion milestone. So in that scenario, uh, especially when you are advocating for yourself, whether it's for promotion or for an offer, a new role or responsibility, responsibility, oh, it's so important not to give up, not to settle right at the bottom of misery hill because that is when you got to stand up. That is when you, the negotiation happens. That is the difference between reaching the summit and staying at the bottom of misery hill. And bottom of Misery Hill is not fun. It's really a miserable place, believe me. So today, I want to encourage you to really remember Misery Hill on Mount Shasta anytime you kind of get stuck in that last mile, that last ounce of effort. And do whatever you got to do. Sing whatever you got to sing. <laughs> Psych yourself up any way you can, but do do that last push, that last push, get yourself up there, cross the finish line, get to your summit, and you will see you will establish a reputation of somebody who doesn't quit. So that is all for today. I hope you enjoyed the story from my mountaineering days. If you are new to us, do check us out. We are building our website now. We have tons of content and programs for mid-career women in tech for advancing in their career, climbing their career mountains. You can check us out on careerclimb, all one word, co And if our website is not up yet, then go ahead and sign up for our next Product VP Challenge, which is free and it's live and it's interactive. It's a lot of fun. You'll learn a lot. It's very highly reviewed. And you can uh, just drop your email to be notified when we start that and sign up for the challenge at productvpchallenge.com. I'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, send to a friend, leave a review, and connect with me on social media. The best way to connect is to register for the next free Product VP Challenge at www.productvpchallenge.com. Until next time, keep climbing and keep enjoying the climb.